Now please join me uh, in your Bibles or in your bulletins. It's also up on the screen, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. Thank you for the truth that you have for us of how we can truly live, how we can know you and connect with you and experience the freedom and the joy and the power that comes with your kingdom. God, please help us to abide this morning, to be connected to you and as Brian speaks, to take your truth and apply it to our lives that we could have the joy and the freedom that comes from that. Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your powerful and holy name. Amen. Thank you, Joel. This is uh, week four, our last week on our um, series, Jesus, Money, and Possessions. And um, I've been thinking a lot this week about just the importance of thinking through this and, and, and how much it connects to um, every part of our life. If you've been a part of our church, though, um, you've probably noticed that I've talked very little about money. Um, we've been around for about 10 years, and I've probably talked about money just a handful of times. And um, that, that's mostly been on purpose, and that is because I don't want to give the impression that, that money is um, a, a driving thing of what we do here. And there are other parts of the Christian life that we would say are, that are very important but that doesn't mean we ignore it. And I think part of, of my hesitation even in talking about it is, um, is that I even grew up, and maybe like some of you, with so many negative experiences with pastors and, and money and talking about it. Um, I grew up in a small town in Washington and, and um, very clear memories um, about the, the new pastor that moved into town and very powerful personality, very kind of domineering personality, and, and really manipulated and, and dominated and intimidated a lot of people. But he was only in, in town for a short amount of time, a few years, a handful of years. Um, because eventually people, people can read you and, and know what you're all about, um, so, but I do feel comfortable and confident after 10 years um, of doing this that we can have an open and honest talk. Um, I've lived in Malibu for almost 20 years now. And so I'm, if I was a, a money huckster, you would know by now, right? After 20 years, I don't know how many teams of Little League, basketball, football, things I've coached. I, I mean, I've been around. And... Um, I think people could clearly identify some flaws in my life, but probably I don't think one of them would be that I'm all about um, money and 
That's why we exist as a church. So um, what's most important to me more than anything else is that we look at the words of Jesus and have the humility and honesty to, uh, to grow and learn. The passage this morning begins out with the word rich. And um, I'll, I'll tell you just one very short story about the only time in my life when I felt rich. Like I just had like lots of money. And uh, it's, kind of, it's very kind of funny now. It's because technically I was a missionary. <laughs> I was a missionary. <laughs> All right, so here's a very short story. In my early 20s, I really wanted to travel, and I was single, and I wanted to go see the world and, and somehow serve Jesus. And so I, I, um, I was hired to teach English as a second language at a school in Indonesia. And for whatever reason, I don't know how this all worked out, but the position, I guess, the previous person um, was married and had a family, and so the salary was kind of around that range for a guy. So I, I got there, and they provided me a place to live. Now, I have to be totally honest with all of you about all this. A place to live and, um, I guess, what you'd call like a house helper, housemaid. She, wa she washed my laundry like every single day, regardless if it was dirty or not. And I had to be like, okay, no. And I would say, Ibu, Ibu, just go home. It's okay. And... Um, and then I had enough, I don't remember how much I got paid, but all my, I had no bills, I had no debt, free place to live, and a chunk of money every month. And I was like, Indonesia, and I could, food was cheap, and I was like, like, what do I do with all this money? And here's what quickly happened after a couple of weeks, though. I quickly learned that my Indonesian teacher partners were making about a quarter of what I was making. Same education, uh, undergrad degree plus a teaching credential or something. And I was, uh, they were making about a quarter of what I was making. And it really, it really like hurt me. It like kind of messed me up inside a little bit. Um, and so I made the mistake, looking back now, I was just, it was a, a guy that had a partner teacher and then his sister and another woman. Um, and so I just start, I was like the sugar daddy. I'm just like, give it. I felt so bad about how much money I had. And, and as I got to know them, just very sweet, good people. They became my friends. I, I lived in this big house. Uh, and I went and visited them. 10 by 10, 12 by 12 room, one light bulb. And it, it just kind of, honestly, it like freaked me out inside. Like I'm like the... I was like, you greedy bastard. I was like, that's how I, as an American, I was like, man. It's like, that was the first time in my life that it, it kind of hit me. And, um, and so I think I responded poorly because I had a lot of guilt and shame. And so I'm just like, <laughs> here, take it, take it, take all my money. And, and it wasn't, that wasn't the best way to handle it. So in no way... Um, well, I share anything this morning to, 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 try to, to try to create guilt or shame. That's never a motivation for healthy living, all right? So let me just show you one thing, though. And I'm going to show you this just to help you feel grateful and joyful, okay? This is from uh, the Global Rich List website. And I know that none of us feel wealthy, but 
let's just, just think for a moment. Just try to be open and honest about this for a moment. All right? So we're going to select USA, and we're going to put the salary of somebody. We'll put like a teacher's salary. That's $50,000. Maybe after you've been teaching. Maybe you have a master's degree, and you've been teaching for maybe five years or so, and you're making around $50,000. And let's just see what this looks like uh, on, on the world scale. So you're, you can't quite see it, but that's... You're a different color, so you're in the top 0.31%. You're the, uh, well, you're not near the top of the richest person in the world, but we'll see how well you do. So you're making $26 an hour. In Ghana, the average labor um, makes less than a penny at the same time. So it takes, oh, just one second, there, one second, there, perfect. It takes just a minute to do something. Oh, we're going to skip that to the end. Keep going, Russell, thank you. 312 years. Ooh. You can go one more smaller if you want, Russell. All right. So you earn 50000 a year. It would take the average labor in Ghana 312 years in to earn the same amount. Take you a minute and 22 seconds to earn enough money to buy a Coke. Thirsty. It only take, uh, how long does it take? In Zimbabwe? Well, it's going to take... A long, how long? An hour, thank you. I can't even see it. All right, we'll keep going. We're almost done. One more here. Your monthly income could pay the monthly salary of 307 doctors in Malawi. Oh, there's more. All right, that's it. let's do one more. Let's just say, just for, for kicks, that you're married to a teacher and uh, you make 120. Maybe your wife has a little more education than you, so she makes 60. So we'll do 110. All right. So you're, you're a one percenter. Look how much. So uh, the wealth of a person in the, state, in the world has dropped dramatically. So all right. We'll just keep going. Take a labor in Ghana, 687 years to earn what a husband and wife make here in the state. So please, you're not supposed to feel guilty. You should feel grateful. And one of the things that I learned when I was in Indonesia, I was born in Bellflower, California in 1970 in the United States of America. And just by that act... I was given so many more opportunities than most people in the world. So, because here, thank you, Russell. Can we go back to the passage for a second? It's going to take a long time to buy a Coke there in Zimbabwe. We can go back to the first Timothy passage. All right. So, as for the rich in this present age... Um, I know that nobody likes to think of themselves as rich. Nobody, or probably most of us don't feel rich. Thank you, Russell. We'll, we'll leave that there for a second. Or you can, we'll come back to that in a second. We know we don't feel rich, but we do have so many things, and we're so blessed. And, you know, I know we hear that, but I, I think it's worth it for us just to, to allow that to sink in. 
And we do know, though, that the Bible talks a lot, even in the New Testament, Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about wealthy people being in the church. So, for example, Lydia in Acts chapter 16 is known for being a wealthy woman. Joseph uh, in Acts 4 uh, mentions him there selling a piece of property. And he went and he gave the, um, the income to the apostles. And so we have to try to live in reality a little bit and, and uh, not think just myopically about my own little salary, and I'm not. And, but we have so much to be grateful for, and so we, it'd be worth it for us to try to be honest about our financial situation. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So Paul is writing this letter. He's encouraging Timothy. He says, you need to teach people. You need to teach people very well on how to live. You need to teach people who have more money than meets their needs of food and shelter. So if we have enough money for food and shelter, and we have surplus, we're doing uh, better than a lot of people. We probably... We probably didn't wake up this morning saying to ourselves, I, I can work five days a week in America and have two days off. In my family, my job is pastor of the church here. My wife is uh, a teacher. There's three boys. So there's five of us. So my wife and I, two people, can work five days a week and make enough money to live with food and shelter for seven days a week. There's a gentleman that uh, used to take care of this property, just stopped. His name was Pedro. Works five days a week. Then on Saturday, comes here and, and works all day. So he does six days a week. Single dad. And so we just have to be willing to take a step and consider this reality that God takes care of us. So... Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and says, there are wealthy people in the church. And he says, teach them. Teach them to live well. So here's the option. You can be a really bad rich person, or you can be a really kind, gentle, compassionate, Jesus-following rich person. What do we want to be? The bad person? Bad? Listen, we've all been around grumpy, prideful Arrogant, rich people. We've seen that. And so think about this for a minute. He says, teach them. If you could think of anything in the world that you would teach to somebody who has wealth, what would it be? Of all the things, invest wisely, invest in this stock. <laughs> I don't know. But here's what Paul says. He warns them. He says, there are two things I'm going to warn you about. Number one is pride. So he's saying, warn Wealthy people, if you want to live well, if you want to live with compassion and kindness, warn them about pride. What does pride do? Pride compares. Pride is always looking for more. Pride enjoys upgrades. We like a little extra comfort. Wednesday morning, I had to go to the DMV. I didn't know this. Here's a tip that might save you some, some time. But on 
On Wednesday morning, the DMV opens at 9 a.m. All the other days, it opens at 8. I didn't know that. So I got there at 7.30 and um, got in line. Now, here's something. This was just, I was very blessed this day. <laughs> at 7.45, the doors opened, and uh, the lady came out with pieces of paper, written, numbers written 1 through 10. And she said, uh, come back at 8.45, and as soon as the door opens, you guys will go in first. You go straight to that um, person whose number you have. So I, I get back there. It's about 8.40 or so, and there's this huge line of people now. And then there's me and about seven or eight other people with this little piece of paper, and we're off to the side. And so a woman from this big, long line storms over... <laughs> You're supposed to be in line over there. Like, just like, I'm like, oh, Moa, here it goes. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not even engaging this conversation. Thankfully, though, this young man, very nice and kind, and said, well, actually, um, they told us to wait here. And she looked and said, all right, I'm just making sure. <laughs> That's what pride does. You compare. You get grumpy with people. So Paul is telling us, Wealthy people, be very careful about pride. And pride always compares. So we never think we're, we're wealthy. We never think of ourselves as rich because we're comparing ourselves to other people. Pride loves upgrades. We have a great kitchen. And we're like, let's tear it out and put in another one. About a year ago, I flew first class from L.A. to New York. And if you haven't, it's truly amazing. <laughs> a friend of mine allowed me an upgrade. And it's, it's very interesting what that does to you. One of the bad things of what it does to you is you never want to go back with a common folk again. <laughs> it was the... I honestly, I, I, didn't, I watched, I think, I don't know, two or three movies from LA to New York, and they just kept bringing me food nonstop, and I didn't move. It was the most delightful and best thing I've ever done in my life <laughs> on an airplane. But here's what happens. In my heart, like, I want that every time. I want to, now I've, I've done first class once in my life, and now I want to do it every single time. I'm not sad. Here's what pride does. You're never content. You're not satisfied. That's why in the previous verses... Um, of the passage this morning, Paul talks about being content with what you have. Being content. So, Paul says this, be very careful, be alert to pride. Be aware of it in your life, that it can sneak up on you. That's number one. Number two, he says this, look in the passage. He says, as for the rich, in this present age, I charge them, or the word teach them, uh, not to be haughty or prideful like we just talked about, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty of riches. Something interesting happens uh, when you get your first job that pays more than at least a, a minimum wage type job and you, you know, maybe you've graduated from college and you actually get a real job and you start making money. Something happens to our hearts 
And this happened to me. When I was, I can very clearly remember my college years. It was just a very meaningful spiritual time for me. I was just, I was sincerely wanted to follow Jesus wherever that took me. And I just didn't care. I would just do anything. And then when you get a job and you start making money, your heart can slowly move away from God and become attached to money and material things. Our hope begins to move away from Jesus towards money and material things when you start earning more money. Let me show you what Proverbs uh, 18.11 says. And this is, a, this is worth noting. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine. Here's, if we can underline a word, it would be the word imagine. This is what money can do to you. You can think it will provide safety and security in your life. Um, here's a quote. I did a lot of reading this week from Andy Stanley who brought some clarity for me. Here's what he said. Uh, how, can we do the next one? How much money? No, there you go. Okay, here's what he said when I read him this week. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginal, imaginable eventualities? So think about that just for a second. How much money would you need in your bank account right now to feel safe and secure? Let's just say uh, in 2020, the economy tanks, inflation goes, all, I don't know, all these economic bad things are happening. How much money would you need to feel safe and secure? Know what the answer is? More than you have right now. More than you have right now. You could have a million dollars saved up. You could have more. You could have 50,000. Just more. And that is what Proverbs, if we can go back to Proverbs for a moment, Proverbs is warning us about that we think Wealth can provide this for us. It can make us feel strong and safe and secure. But it's imaginary. So Paul is warning us against two things. Against pride about our hearts moving from trusting in God, living in faith, allowing Jesus to be the guide and and the Lord of our lives, to our hearts become attached to money and material things. In exchange, though, Paul says this. He says to avoid those two things, but then he says this, but we are to put our hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Think about that for a second. Not to allow our riches become a source of hope, but to put our hope in God. Here's a quote. This is, Andy Stanley put a nice short sentence of this. Russell, can we put up the other? Not that one, the other one. There you go. So here's what he said about this. Why hope in riches when you can hope in the one who richly provides? All right? And that, that clarifies it and crystallizes it for us. And I think one of the things that's really important to say and for all of us to remember is that this change this migration of our heart from being in love with Jesus to being in love with money or material things. It happens at such a slow pace 
that you don't even notice it. It just happens. Slow change is amazing. And I, for, for me, whenever I think about this, I think about my old Labrador who, who, who died a few years ago. His name was Jack. He was the slowest moving dog that moved the quickest I'd ever seen. I, I would be out talking with a friend and we would, and I would turn my head and I'd see him like, like <laughs> he was so old. He was like, but he wouldn't stop. And, and then I'd be done talking. I'd look up and he, there's my dog, Jack, just cruising down Doom Drive, like a quarter mile. I'm like, how did you get that far that slow? <laughs> and you know what it was? He just didn't stop. He just kept moving very, very slowly, but he never stopped. And this is what happens to our hearts. Like, how did I get so far away from Jesus? Like, when did that happen? Well, here's when it happens. When you start making money, and you start having bills, and you got to do braces for your kids, and college, and then you have a broken arm, then you have a car crash, and life just happens. And slowly over time, that love you once had for Jesus has faded away into the uncertainty of riches. Here's what, we'll go back to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Here's something that we can hold on to. This, uh, this reminds me of uh, my childhood, but here's what Solomon, or no, I don't think it's Solomon here. Um, different, someone different is writing this part now, but here's what he says. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. And we talked about this even with uh, Nicodemus and how he manipulated and lied to people to make money. And here's what uh, the author says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And the next verse. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's, that's the key. Lest I be full and deny you. And we have to be honest, we're all in that spot where our we have, at least best of my knowledge, people I know, we have enough to eat. And it can be really easy to say, like, who is, like, what, what happened to my relationship with Jesus? Or lest I become poor and steal and profane. That isn't our issue for us today. So we are to put our hope in God. Paul is telling us that we are to put our hope in God and not in the uncertainty of riches. Russell, can we put the, uh, the, the Andy Stanley quote about riches again, the, who, the one who richly provides? So let's think about this for one second. Why hope in riches when you can hope in the one who richly provides? So let's put that in a different, just in a, a statement. How do we live with our hope on Jesus and not the uncertainty of riches? So how, how do we actually do that? What, what, is, what is the course for living in a way where we are putting our hope and our trust and our love in Christ and not money? Well, the next verse is, is the answer. Verse 18 says this. Here's what we are to do. Verse 18 says they are to do good. We are to do good, to be rich in good works. So remember who he's talking to. Um, when we would look at the words of Jesus, we would, 
easily see and learn that we're all called to be people who um, allow our love for Jesus to work itself out into doing works of goodness. But here's what he says to the wealthy, to the rich. Again, please consider yourself to be a part of that. I will. There to do good. And here's what he says, not, not to be good, although that would be implied, but we are to be doing extra good. That Because what happens is, we have, the more affluent you are, it's also quite possible that your schedule is more flexible, that you have more control over your life. And so Paul is saying this, that as you have more control over your life, you have a greater opportunity to do good. Think about the opportunity because of our wealth, because of our income, because of where we live. What is the opportunities we have to do good? This is how you live this out. This is how you live out this idea that our trust is in Christ and not in riches. When you have surplus, when you have more than you need, you tend to be more casual and carefree about it. And let me just give you a more of a lighthearted example or a little bit. Um, and that is water. So I grew up in Washington State, Western Washington, where it just, it rains like all the time. And if that's your perception, you're pretty much right on. It is beautiful for in July and August, but it rains a lot. So water, at least when I was growing up, and I know maybe things have changed, but <clears throat> water was just never an issue. Moved to Southern California, and you're like, oh, water conservation. Like, way less water here. I think we've canceled church in 10 years because of rain once or twice in 10 years. So it very, not a lot of rain. So we're, water is on our radar more. <clears throat> you go to Haiti, and one of the things you noticed is um, a lot of water trucks delivering drinkable water. So we have endless supplies of drinkable water. We don't necessarily even really think about it that much. So... Here's what I'm saying. We're so blessed and, and we have so many things. We have to be careful about not thinking carefully about how much time we have, how much money we have, and how are we being stewards of our time and our money? Because Paul is telling us that we are to be people who do good, that we are to be rich in good works. And then he says this, we are to be generous and ready to share Generous and ready to share. This is to be the mark of our lives. And I, I meant to say this in the beginning, but I'll say it now. Um, there are many people in our church. If you want a living example, I'm not going to say anyone publicly, but if you want a living example of people who are living this out in our church, um, talk to me and I'll, like, and I'll point you to people who, who live this out, who are, um, we do have people in our church who are very generous, who, who give of their time and of their money for the ministry of the gospel. But, <clears throat> so I meant to say that earlier, but let's think about this. But what does this actually mean? How do we live this out? I think what we can do to help us is turn in our Bibles, if you have it, turn to Mark for just a moment. Mark chapter 12. 
And we will get some insight on how do we actually live this out? What does this actually mean? So here is the context. Jesus is with his disciples, and they are near the, uh, they're in the temple, and it says this. Jesus is going to call the disciples together, and it says this. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. So a little bit like what we have, we we don't pass a plate here at church, but we have a little box back there. And so people were filing in and putting money in. And Jesus says to his disciples, hey, come here, look. Let's have a little, little team huddle. Let's just watch what's happening. And it says this, many rich people put in large sums. So the, this is, there's some, some words that are being played on here. A group of rich people, large amounts of money, in contrast to one poor widow and think about what the point Jesus is going to be making here. Lots of rich people putting in lots of cash so everyone can see. And then a poor widow comes in and puts in two small copper coins, which make a penny. So we can just imagine this here for a moment. Somebody comes by, opens up their wallet, puts in 10 grand. Next person walks in and puts 5 grand or 300 or whatever. And then here comes in somebody and literally puts in two little pennies. And we just have to be willing to like, think about this for a moment. And here's what Jesus says about this. In verse 43, And he calls his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. All right, how is this even possible? This, is, this doesn't make any sense. Okay? Because every pastor is going to like the person who puts in $20,000 or $10,000 versus the person who puts in two pennies. Two pennies don't help a budget very much. $10,000, that helps a budget. So do you, do you see how this is like, this like just it destroys the modern mindset of budgets and churches and giving and who's important and who, who's in positions of power? It's, you almost have to read it twice. And maybe we can, um, we can say this word together. There's one word here. The word is more. A woman puts in a couple of pennies, and that's more than $10,000. How could that be? Well, Jesus answers that. Verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And here's what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching about percentage giving, not dollar giving. Percentage giving, not dollar giving. Jesus is not impressed if wealthy people give large amounts of cash. We have to think about this for a moment. I was... I was just playing and research this this week. But $1 right now um, is equal to 40,000 Iranian dollars, right? So I was like, (laughs) somebody, I can see somebody dropping in like 42. We actually have gotten Chinese, different kinds of money all around the world before. Somebody drops in $42,000 Iranian dollars. Like there's a big donation. They're like, oh, it's actually a dollar. Look, let me read this. This is Colossians chapter 1 about Jesus. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. 
Jesus is supreme over all creation. We have to like Jesus is not impressed. If you give a hundred dollars, a thousand, or ten thousand, a hundred thousand, this is so important. Jesus is not impressed. It just doesn't, that's not the issue. The issue is our hearts. And you can literally give a dollar and have it be more than someone who gives $10,000. Because Jesus is saying it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of our percentage of our income. Robert Gundry, one of the leading scholars on the Gospel of Mark, has a subtitle for this. and It's called this, Jesus' Upsetting of the Popular Opinion About Giving. He just, he just destroys it. Because you can do things, you can give money, and it, and it might look good or feel good. But if you're not giving a percentage from your heart, then Jesus is not impressed. Most of us, and I'm included, and, and I'm rethinking this, living this out myself, most of the time we are emotional givers. That we give when we feel like it. When we, um, something touches our heart, um, to, we give. We watch a video and we see hurting children and then we want to give. And the Apostle Paul is saying this. We are to be generous, thoughtful people. And here's, here's what I believe is a, a path forward. And if you like P words, and this, this is easier to remember. But I think we are to be prayerful in our giving. We should predetermine our giving, and we should give a percentage of our giving. It should be prayerful, it should be predetermined, and it should be a percentage. I did a lot of reading this week, or a fair amount, about giving in America, and there's kind of a wide range of statistics, but I would say kind of like the most broad, general percentage that Americans give is right around 4% of their income. <clears throat> Here's what the Bible says. In the Old Testament, believers were commanded to tithe, which is 10%. Nowhere in the New Testament are you commanded to do that. But what I would say this is just prayerfully, nobody's going to know. I'm not sure they're not going to know. Between you and Jesus, prayerfully predetermine a percentage of your giving. Begin to live with thoughtfulness, not just emotions, not just whims when you feel like it. And I'll, my wife is very patient and kind because that's my natural bent. And so um, I've, I'm growing in wisdom, right? So if you have, if I have money in my pocket, I'm like, I'm buying coffees. All I'm being, like, I, it's just like, that's why other people in our church are in charge of the money, not me. Because I'm like, do we need some more wood chips? Let's buy more wood chips. There's the big pile of wood chips sitting right there. Um, prayerfully predetermine a percentage of your giving. And then go back to Timothy. Let me just remind you of this. And I'm almost done. If we could... Uh, Sorry, pages are sticking together here. Here's what he says. Remember this. 
put your trust, excuse me, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We're to enjoy our lives. Just because we make more money than someone living in Ghana does not mean that we're to walk around with guilt and shame. You are not. Here's what you're to do. You are to prayerfully predetermine your generosity. And then once you've done that, whether it's 4% or 2% or 1%, that's between you and Jesus. Or if it's 10% or more, Rick Warren, I told you, a pastor who has made millions and millions of dollars, gives away 91% of his income. That's a personal choice between you and Jesus. And don't allow guilt or shame to be any part of it. Because once you've prayerfully predetermined it, you should enjoy your life. If you want to buy a new car, buy a new car. If you want to remodel your kitchen that's two years old, maybe rethink that. But if it's like 10 years old, or, no, I'm sorry, I don't know. But that's between you and Jesus. But, and there's the big but, is be careful not to put your hope in the uncertainty of riches. Be generous. And then verse 19 says, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. We have a, we have a choice in how we want to live our lives. And I, I've seen both. I taught at a private school in Pacific Palisades for many, many years. And I saw some really snotty, mean, rich people. And I saw some amazingly kind and generous, thoughtful, wealthy people. So I've seen both. And the bigger picture question for us is what, regardless of your income, last time we talked about five bags of gold, two bags or one bag. It's about being faithful stewards of what you have and enjoying the things that God has given you. I think um, our money is, it's, I always think of it in the sense of, of, uh, of, of fire. Like there's nothing better and more enjoyable for me in having a fire in my fireplace and reading a good book and sipping on hot cocoa at night or whatever I'm doing and just being in a warm house. Within the right boundaries, fire is beautiful. It's light, it brings warmth, it's good. And if it gets outside of those boundaries, it brings destruction. And so money can be used for beautiful, good things to be enjoyed, to create beauty, to provide for your, your families and your loved ones. But we have to be careful because it can easily fall outside those boundaries and our hearts can become attached to, to it. So my prayer, my hope for individual families here and as a church community that we would be rich in good works and generous and kind and compassionate people and that we won't allow our money to make us go sideways, that we'd find our true hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we love you this morning. We're so grateful for the good things you give us. I pray that our hearts would overflow with generosity and kindness and compassion. I pray that we would be prayerful people, that we would, above all, first seek you and how we handle our money. Thank you for speaking clearly through your word. Thank you that you um, give us the opportunity and the responsibility to live this out. I pray that you'd find us faithful. 
pray that for my own heart, for my own family. And I pray that for our church community. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.